Greetings. This is Bible Time with Jane, and I am Jane, your host. We are continuing our series in the book of Acts, and today we will take a look at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. In our last teaching, Paul had been spending time in Athens, having fled from Thessalonica and Berea. If you remember, Paul had initially received an unusual reception in Berea in that not only did they listen to his message, but they eagerly searched the scriptures to confirm whether or not his message was accurate with the testimony found in the Word of God. The Berean believers set an example that we should also follow whenever we listen to a sermon or a Bible teaching. Anyway, when the Jews rose up against Paul in Berea, He traveled on to Athens, but left Silas and Timothy behind to continue the ministry that he had begun. But he gave them instructions to meet up with him later, so he traveled to Athens alone, and this was very unusual for him to do. Paul used his time wisely, walking throughout the city in order to discover the best way to approach them with the gospel message of Jesus. At the right moment, he was able to share boldly about what they had called the unknown God. But we know him. We know him by his name, Jesus. And although Paul did not receive the usual persecution, his time in Athens produced only a few converts, two of which are named, Dionysius, the Areopagite, and Damaris. We don't really know how long he stayed there in Athens, but it is presumed that it was not for an extended period of time, and the results uh, were not as uh, enthusiastic as they had been in other cities that he had visited. From Athens, Paul traveled to one of the key cities in the Roman Empire, Corinth. Let's turn now to our Bibles and read about his time there. So turning to Acts chapter 18, I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them, so because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for by occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. But when they opposed him, and blasphemed. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he departed from there and entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. Then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing, believed and were baptized. Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. 
Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. The Life Application Bible Commentary provides us with the following excellent historical review of this key city. It says this, Ancient Corinth had been destroyed by Romans in 146 BC, but it had been rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 46 BC because of its strategic seaport. By Paul's day, which was AD 50, the Romans had made Corinth the capital of Achaia, which is present-day Greece. Only 50 miles from Athens, Corinth by this time was regarded as the most influential city of Greece. Corinth was a major center of commerce, located on a narrow strip of land near two busy seaports, and at a busy crossroads for land travelers and traders. The city was wealthy and very materialistic. Corinth was a center of culture, though not a university town like Athens, there was great interest in Greek philosophy and wisdom. Aristides claimed that on every street in Corinth, one could meet a so-called wise man who had his own solutions to the world's problems. The city was permeated with religion, and at least 12 temples were located there. The most infamous of these temples was dedicated to Aphrodite, the goddess of love, and featured 1,000 sacred prostitutes. Another temple, dedicated to Apollo, employed male prostitutes. And largely due to this fact, the, the city was notorious for its immorality. So brazen was the unbridled licentiousness that a new Greek verb was eventually coined. To Corinthianize meant to practice sexual immorality. When Plato referred to a prostitute, he used the expression Corinthian girl. Mm. It was to this city that Paul came. He did not see the city as a hopeless cause because of its gross immorality and idolatry. No. Instead, he saw Corinth as both a challenge and a great ministry opportunity. He would eventually have a thriving ministry there and a city church would be established. Following his time there, he would write a series of letters to the church in Corinth, two of which are included in the Bible. And he also wrote the books of First and Second Thessalonians while spending time in Corinth. Soon after arriving in Corinth, Paul met a man by the name of Aquila and his wife Priscilla, who were Jews. And they had recently come to Corinth from Rome, where they had been forced to leave because they were Jews, and Claudius had issued an edict commanding all Jews to leave the vicinity of Rome. It is presumed that this edict was given because of the apparent conflict within the Jewish community, with many Jews become following, becoming followers of Jesus Christ. They were tent makers by trade, just like Paul. 
And therefore, they decided to work together with Paul, staying with them while he was in Corinth. Now, scholars tell us that many of the trade guilds had adopted pagan practices, and therefore it seems reasonable that Aquila and Paul would strike up a partnership in order to avoid being connected with that practice. This partnership also served to allow Paul to teach at night and preach on Sunday the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You will remember that in Athens, Paul, when he spoke to the community, found common ground based on the altar to the unknown God. But in Corinth, while there were temples to gods, this was primarily a, a pagan community that concentrated on satisfying the flesh rather than worshiping a god. Therefore, Paul's approach in this city was very different and direct. He writes about it in his first letter to the Corinthian church. He, he writes this, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Added to this, as I had read to you earlier, there was also a great interest in Greek philosophy and wisdom. So, again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul adds this. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words with man's wisdom teaches, but, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? 
but we have the mind of Christ. In addition to this, our passage informs us that there was a synagogue in the city, which, which means that there were a few God-fearing Jews and Gentiles who had come to believe in the God of the Jews. Early in their stay in Corinth, Silas and Timothy joined Paul with a financial gift from the Philippian church and a good report about the perseverance of the believers in Thessalonica. This is confirmed in Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians. In chapter 3, he writes this, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you, therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day praying exceedingly, that we may see your face perfect what is lacking in your faith. However, as Paul continued to teach in the synagogue and as both Jews and Gentiles were becoming believers in Jesus Christ, opposition among the Jews once again rose up against Paul. The conflict became so significant that Paul separated himself from the synagogue and went next door to the house of justice, a Gentile, who would become a follower of Jesus Christ. It was there that Paul continued his ministry and his teaching. It is very interesting that the Bible makes a point in informing us that the first convert to Christianity was Crispus, the synagogue ruler. He was a prominent and wealthy man in the community and therefore his conversion and that of his entire household was a very significant event in that it became a powerful testimony to the truth and power of the gospel message. It was at this time that Jesus revealed himself to Paul in a vision, saying, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Based on the promise of Christ, Paul remained in Corinth for a year and a half teaching and preaching, leading many people to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, helping them to grow in their faith, encouraging them to turn away from the pattern of their old life, and pressing into the newness and holiness of Christ Jesus. This is still the message to the church today. Paul would later write the following to this most beloved church body. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, 
But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Yes, Paul was enjoying a successful ministry in that city, and lives were literally being transformed by the power of Christ. As the Bible says in Romans 1, 16-17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, The just shall live by faith. However, as usual, there was an attempt to once again silence Paul. As Dr. Warren Wiersbe reminds us, the enemy gets angry when we invade his ter territory and liberate his slaves. So let us now read verses 12 through 17 to find out what happened next. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, Look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them out from the judgment seat. Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. Now you might question why there was opposition when Jesus had promised Paul in a vision that no one would attack him to hurt him. But you will note that the attack that Paul experienced at this time was an attack on his ministry and not on his person. It was not a physical attack. And this is what Jesus had promised, right? Jesus had said, I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. And so Jesus was good to his promise. But the opposition, well... These things we can expect, even as the Apostle Paul reminded Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, where he wrote, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Now, if the charge that had been laid against him was true, this behavior would be considered treason. However, the charge was a lie. 
But more to the point, Gallio was not interested in the charge. He saw right through the deceit and vengeful motives. However, this ruling became a significant open door for the church, and once again we turn to the commentary for further explanation. This sequence of events took place when Gallio, the brother of Seneca, the philosopher, was proconsul of Achaia, which is modern-day Greece, and he had come to power in A.D. 51-52, and he enjoyed a, a good reputation among his people as a pleasant man. This was an important judicial decision for the spread of the gospel in the Roman Empire. Judaism was a recognized religion under Roman law, and as long as Christians were seen as a sect within Judaism, the court refused to hear cases brought against them. Gallio's decision proved to be extremely beneficial for the emerging Christian church for the next 10 years. His ruling became a legal precedent used in Paul's trial in Rome. And if Gallio had found Paul guilty, every governor in every province where Paul or other missionaries traveled could arrest the Christians. By not ruling against Paul, the Romans were including Christianity as a sect of Judaism as one of the legal religions of the Roman Empire. Gallio, in, in effect, helped spread the gospel throughout the empire. But what is so sad here, in light of this favorable ruling for Paul, is what happened when Gallio, with Gallio. Our passage tells us that when Gallio pronounced his refusal to rule on this case, mob rule broke out and a violent altercation erupted against Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Verses 16 and 17 tells us that Gallio drove them all out from his presence and took no notice of anything that had followed. When he drove out everyone, he was also driving out Paul and the gospel message of our Lord Jesus Christ, effectively turning his back on that life-changing message of hope and life, utterly rejecting it and Jesus. Historians tell us that within a few years, his life came to an end at his own hand. Dr. A.J. Ironside explains, If Gallio had only been concerned enough to hear Paul's message, patient enough to listen to it thoughtfully and carefully, for as we trace his history in secular volumes, we find that at last he became a thoroughly disillusioned man who found that the world could not satisfy and who possibly died a suicide. It seems sad indeed that this well-meaning, amiable man, this gracious and kindly philosophical Roman governor, should have no interest in the gospel of God. This is very sobering. Yes, the gospel message is the power of God into salvation and it will always impact the hearer. For those who receive it, they will find life. But for those who reject it, it will bring to them death. As the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One last thing, and that is the man Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Following their encounter with Gallio, the crowd who had gathered poured out their frustration on Sosthenes as the representative of the Jews. However, later, when, when Paul would write his first letter to the church in Corinth, he would include in his greeting the name Sosthenes, our brother. Scholars cannot absolutely confirm it, but they are generally in agreement that this Sosthenes is the same man who had been the synagogue ruler in Corinth. This means that following this violent attack and during the next year and a half, the ministry of Paul and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ had transformed this man's life and he became a follower of Jesus, a Christian, and a co-laborer with Paul in his ministry. So let me close with the opening verses from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians for our instruction and for your blessing. Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, both theirs and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And as it was for them, so it is also for you, who believe in Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you, O God, once again for your faithful servant, Paul, and the testimony of your scriptures, for the power of the gospel, for the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and our lives. And I pray, O God, that we might be stirred to stand and speak forth the testimony of that gospel message, that we might remember your words to Paul, I am with you, and that you, O oh God, are in control of all things, and though sometimes it may not be pleasant, yet you are with us, and because you are with us, all is well. We can trust you, O oh God, and we rejoice in the God of our salvation. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to Teach us and inspire us by your word to live faithfully for you, even as your servants of long ago were faithful to the call.
bless bless your people O God I pray in the name of Jesus Amen well if you're finding these messages helpful and encouraging or if you have a question that you would like to ask please feel free to email me at BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. It's all one word, BibleTimeWithJane at gmail.com. So until next time, my blessed, beloved friend, may the power of the gospel fill you and transform your life as you continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be all glory and praise, both now and forevermore. Amen.